You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. To help us spread the gospel of Jesus, give us a five-star rating. That'll help others find this podcast. In this podcast, we're diving into the book of Revelations with Lynn Cleland. Wow. You know, uh, this week, uh, as I was praying to the Lord, uh, He showed me this crowd. This is the church. This is what his idea was with his church, to come and assemble as we are right now and to learn about him and to praise him and to worship him. This is his church. I want to recap uh, just real quickly what we talked about last week, and then I want to go right into chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. So last week we talked about revelation from God to Jesus, coming directly from the Father to the Son, to an angel, and then the angel takes and hands this revelation to the Apostle John. The book of Revelation, the, the word revelation is a Greek word, apocalypsis. What does apocalypsis mean? It's where we get our word apocalypse. It means an unveiling to reveal, to uncover, to unseal, to pull back the curtain. And then we read that the things that are going to happen in Revelation will soon take place. And that word soon is a Greek word, takai, T-A-C-H-E-I. A few people asked me about that last week. It's the same word used in Romans 1620 where the word says that Satan will soon be crushed. And as we all know, Satan hasn't been fully crushed, but it's the same word used there. So a lot of people get off track right there at the beginning of Revelation. When they see that word soon, they say, okay, see, it should have happened already. So that's, that's a key thing to remember. Jesus tells John to write down everything that I tell you. Everything that you hear, everything that I tell you, I want you to write it down. You'll notice as John goes through Revelation, he'll either say, this is what it is. It'll be translated right there for you. Or John will use the word like. He'll say, I seen something and it was like. He's trying to describe what he's seeing. He's watching a movie, a vision that he's been given by Jesus Christ himself. So he'll say, like, it's like. It's almost like your kids when they run outside and they see something and they run back inside and they say, mommy, mommy, guess what I just saw? It was like it had big eyes, it had big ears, and you know what they're talking about, but they're trying to describe it to you. This is exactly what John's doing with us, and he'll say that in his words, so pay attention to that. We also see that we're blessed for reading this word, this book, hearing it, and then applying it. When we read the word of God and we hear the word of God, it's only effective when we apply it. We can hear it, we can read it, but if we don't apply it, then it's not effective. So it's key to apply the word of God. He tells John to send this to seven literal churches in Asia Minor. Asia Minor is what we know now today as the country of Turkey. Send it to seven churches. 
There were more than seven churches in that area, way more than seven churches. But God tells John to send it to seven churches. So the word, the number seven means what church? Completion, completeness. So that's key. Jesus says, I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the first and last. I'm the beginning and end. John's being exiled to the island of Patmos. It's off of the coast of Turkey. He's being exiled there to be punished, to shut him up so he can't spread the word of God. Heavy persecution during that time period. When John sees Jesus, he says he has the voice of a trumpet, the sound of rushing waters. And he's standing in the middle of seven golden lampstands, and in his right hand he has seven stars. And then he describes what he looks like. He has a white robe on to his feet. His hair is like wool. His eyes are like blazing fire. His feet are polished brass. Out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword, and his face is like the shining sun. A two-edged sword. I've heard some say that that cuts you going in and cuts you going out. That may be true, but I think the two-edged sword represents the Old and the New Testament. So he has complete word to tell others. He holds the keys of death and Hades. And again, he tells John, this is key, write what you have seen, which are and which shall be. So what has John seen? He's seen Jesus. He's seen the description of Jesus. He has the vision so far. Now tonight in chapters 2 and 3, it's the which are. The which are is the church age. We are now living in the which are. It's the churches. We are the church. The seven candlesticks represents seven churches and the seven stars are the seven angels or translated, they're not heavenly bodies, pastors, messengers of the church. If you would, church, uh, stand to your feet and we read from the Word of God, please. Now that we've entered chapters 2 and 3, it's time for Jesus to begin judging his church. In 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, in verse 17, we read this. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for your word. Father, tonight, as we go through the churches, Father, Father, we ask you for forgiveness. We repent, Father. Father, for we know that what we have done, Father, in times past, Father, even up until where I stand right now, Father, we have sinned, Father. We have not looked like, Father, the church that your son Jesus established at times. Father, we have not been faithful. Father, we have not worshipped you like we should. Father, we have become complacent. 
And Father, we ask tonight that you forgive us for that. That Father, when we come into your house, this is your house. It's not our house. And Father, because of our sin, Father, that we have committed in times past, Father, you have watched it, you have seen it. Father, we ask you to forgive us. We beg you for your forgiveness, your mercy, Father, and your grace. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus on this church, Father, and the churches everywhere, Father, wherever they assemble. That we may know you, Father, that we may come back, Father, that we may return, Father, and be who we're supposed to be. Father, help us to remember what your son did for us. God, he, he came to this earth, Father, to teach us, to show us, to live as a good example, Father, and then he died for us. Pastor just said it this morning, Father. Father, we pray it through your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This study of these two chapters was really tough for me. It was tough. And the reason it was so tough is, as I looked through these seven churches that are mentioned here, I seen things that I have been guilty of in the past in the Lord's church. And I seen things that I know that other churches that I've attended, I've seen with my eyes that they are guilty of, that Jesus doesn't approve of. And we see it today. More and more and more of the world is entering the Lord's church. Media, if you have that scripture, Matthew 16, 18, put that scripture up if you would. I never seen this before. I've read this verse, and, and everybody here has read this verse probably a million times. I didn't see it. Jesus said, yeah, There we go. That's better. Jesus said, Upon this rock, upon him, the foundation, I will build, what did he say, church? My church. And then he makes a bold statement, a bold statement. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to tell you something tonight, church. Jesus will make sure that the gates of hell do not prevail against his church. And we're going to see that tonight when we study these seven churches. He will make sure. If he doesn't make sure, he's a liar. He's a liar. I would expect when Jesus made that statement right there, upon this rock I will build my church, he had good intentions. He had good intentions. When you build your house, you have good intentions. When you build your house, you say, I'm going to build a nice house. I'm going to take care of this house. I'm going to make sure things don't happen to this house. 
I'm going to protect this house. I'm going to make sure it looks nice all the time. And if you raise kids, you're probably going to say, well, when I raise these kids, I'm going to make sure that I raise them right. I teach them right and wrong. If they do wrong, I correct them. If they do right, I commend them. This is exactly what Jesus does to these seven churches. He tells John, John, I want you to write a letter to each one of these churches. These were physical churches located in Asia Minor. They were real. He was concerned about his house. And he was making sure that the gates of hell don't prevail against it. That's what Jesus was doing when he tells John to write this down. He's concerned about their spiritual health. So he says, John, write them letters. Imagine if you were a pastor and you go to your mailbox and you get your mail. You got a couple utility bill, bills in there. Maybe you got something from JCPenney. And then you see one letter that says, from Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how the pastors at that church felt when they got those letters from John? He says, John, I want you to tell them the good things they've done, the bad things they've done, and then I want you to tell them how to fix the bad things. Now, why would Jesus tell them to fix their bad things? Because he knew what was about to happen when we go through the tribulation. He didn't want them going through that period. And we're going to see one of the churches, he's going to tell them, I'm going to save you from that tribulation. I don't want you going through that. I want you to be ready. I want your clothes to be white. When I come back, I want you to be ready when I come back. So he's telling them the things that they're doing good, the things that they're doing bad, and then he's giving them a chance to repent. He says, repent, turn around, go the other way. Don't do those things anymore. Because why? Because he's protecting them from the gates of hell. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And Jesus makes sure of that. You know, one of the things that God spoke to me during this study is, and I, I mentioned it in my prayer, the church has become complacent. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm, I'm there. We come in and we want this to be like that. We look like we, we, we're looking for entertainment. Remember the story of Moses? Remember when Moses went to Mount Sinai and met with God and God spoke from the burning bush? The bush wasn't consumed. It was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. And Moses begins to kind of look around and say, hey, what's going on here? Where's God's voice coming from? Do you remember what God says to him? Moses. Moses. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. That spoke to me. When we come in and we're in the presence of God, now I'm not advocating that you take off your shoes, but you see where I'm going here. 
reverence, respect. That's the attitude we should have when we commit. Nobody, nobody should have to ask us to get into that mode. Nobody. If Pastor Pastor Carey or any pastor, uh, Pastor Rita, anybody, they're focused on what they're supposed to do. If they have to come in and focus on us to get us ready, we're messing up. We need to be focused when we come into the house of the Lord and ready to worship. This is God. God said, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground now. He didn't say to Moses, hey, Moses, if you want to, take them off. It's your choice. Leave them on, take them off, whatever you want to do. He said, take them off because you're going to show reverence to me. So as we begin studying our churches, Jesus is going to start, and you'll see as we progress through the seven churches, you'll see a a slow progression of what is a very good church up until when we get to the last church where just all kinds of things are going on in that church. And this is Satan working at his best, just to put it real simple. It's Satan beginning to work in the Lord's church. Everything that God does, Satan tries to interfere with. Everything. Once he knows what God's plan is, he's going to try to disrupt it. So that's exactly what's going to happen when Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church. Yeah, I know you will. Now I'm going to try to interfere with it. That's exactly what Satan's going to try to accomplish. He wants to be worshipped instead of God. He wants you to worship him instead of worshiping God. And essentially, I'm just going to say this, if we come in here, we don't worship God, that's what we're doing. Because when we go back out there, we can find a lot of things to worship instead of God, can we? Maybe we don't worship wooden carvings or, or, or idols made out of stone, but we've got a lot of other things we worship, right? And sometimes they prevent us, they occupy our mind to think on those things and not think on God. You know, worship is the one thing that can give us our breakthrough, and it's the one thing that we're reluctant to do many times. Worship is what causes God to act. I, I think at times we, we kind of think God is like a drive through God. Hey, God, how about a couple healings? Maybe I, I need a new car. New house. Just hold the worship, though. I don't need that part. You see what I'm saying, church? We need to be ready to worship the one that does everything for us. He does everything for us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to to chapter 2 of Revelation. We'll begin with the first church, the church of Ephesus. And if you'll notice by each of these churches, I have a date The date represents the time period in the church age that this would most apply to. So that's why you see those dates. These dates don't represent that the church of Ephesus existed between 30 AD and 70 AD. It would be the time period in which the description of this church is going to take place. 
So the church of Ephesus was a, a very beautiful city. It had beautiful buildings, and I'm sorry, but I need... Does anybody have a King James Version of a Bible handy? Please. Thank you, Pastor. I knew the pastor would have one. Let me read it first, and then we'll go through. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. In each one of these churches, remember the description that John gave of Jesus in the first chapter, his qualities, if you will. Jesus will apply that quality to each one of these churches individually to where it matches what they need. So in this church, it says he's in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and they are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. When you read everything so far, this is a perfect church. This is a church any pastor would like to be in charge of. But then Jesus gets to that one thing. He says, thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." To him that overcometh will I give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So during this time when Ephesus was present, materialism, paganism, and heathenism was very prevalent. When John gives the description here, he says that Jesus holds that church and its pastor in his right hand, he's showing them the confidence he has in them. He has the protection. They're under his control. And he says, I know your works. I know your works. I know your perseverance. I know your labor. And I know from all of this, you're getting weary from that. You're working really hard from all of this. And he says they have patience, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. They have patience. And he says they cannot bear evil. And this is interesting. He says that as people come into this church, he tests them. The pastor there tests them as to whether or not they're apostles. And one of the questions you would ask somebody if they identified themselves as an apostle, is, have you ever seen the resurrected Christ? 
That would be one of the things that an apostle would have to have to be considered an apostle. He would have had to have seen Jesus when he was resurrected. And they preached Christ. They preached the word. They stayed grounded in the word. Their pastor hated evil. And they didn't faint or grow weary. One of the comments I want to make about Jesus speaking to pastors. Pastors need to be, and they are focused with the Spirit of God. And as I said earlier, there should not be any interference between that level of a pastor's relationship with the Lord. I know sometimes some churches I've went to, there's been people that would approach the pastor and say, hey, why don't you preach on this? Or, hey, why don't you preach on that? And here we see that a pastor is receiving the direct revelation from the Lord. So that's very important. And as I said, he has one condemnation and only one for this church. You've left your first love. Jesus. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, in verse 18, I'm sorry, Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses 37 and 38, the Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So we can see here by the word of Matthew that we are not to forsake our first love, that we're to love God the Bible says that God is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. Remember, church, when you first became a Christian, how you felt? I mean, you just felt like you could just take on the world. And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to get back to. Or, or guys or ladies, when you first fell in love with your significant other, you went out, you bought flowers, you did all these nice things. You were really in love with that person. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling this church here at Ephesus. Don't forget about me, okay? I know you're working hard, but don't forget about me. So when we come into worship on Sundays or Wednesdays or wherever we come to meet, don't forget about why we're here. Show the reverence. Show why you came to this church. That's really what God wants. He wants our heart. He wants our reverence. He wants us to worship him. And I guarantee you, if you do that, if you practice that, you'll see major breakthroughs in your life. Major breakthroughs in your life. Now Jesus is going to apply his medicine, if you will, as the great physician. Jesus says to remember, remember where you used to be. Repent. You'll notice in all these churches, no matter what they've done, Jesus always gives us the time to repent. So he's given Ephesus a time to repent and do the first works again. And then Jesus says something that's kind of harsh, if you will. He says, if you don't do these things, he says, I'll come and remove your candlestick. Remember what we said the candlestick was? It represents the church. 
When I first read this, I, I thought, Jesus, does that, re, does that mean that you're going to take that church away? Does that mean you're going to make it dry up? What's that mean? As, as I kept studying, I think what it means is Jesus says, I'm going to remove your influence or your power. You're not going to be able to go forth into your area where your church is located with that power and that influence any longer. And the reason he's doing that is because the church, his church, has to be right. It has to be right. If it's not right, then it's not going forth the way Jesus wants it to go forth. So he's going to remove the influence and the power from that church and not give them the ability to go forth into the world. Because what they're practicing isn't what he's approving of. Do you, is everybody follow me on that? And then Jesus says this, I know you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This was a group of people that were considered in our, our day a cult. And what they were doing is they were beginning to introduce sexual immorality and so forth into the church. And what they would tell the members is, it's okay, you can do that. You've been forgiven, you've been washed by the blood, don't worry about it. And, he, and, G, and it says here in this, this verse that Jesus hated that, and the church of Ephesus hates that. It gets people comfortable in believing that I can sin, and because I've been washed by the blood of, of, of Jesus, it's okay. And Jesus says, I don't like that, because... In a sense, what you're doing is you're cheapening his blood. And it says here that he hated that. And he admired the church of Ephesus because their pastor hated it too. And notice that Jesus says here that he hates the sin and not the sinner. He hated what they were doing, but he didn't hate the person. Now, it's important to note this here because as we see the church progression, we'll see that a little later, the church starts accepting these practices. It's okay to do this. And you and I both know, even in our life, we've seen the church accept more and more and more and we're going to get to that, to where they get to a point where anything goes. And Jesus says he won't tolerate that. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And he always says at the end of his letters, just listen to what the Spirit has to say. If you have an ear, hear what I'm saying. Because that's the medicine you need to take to turn yourself around and to go in the direction that I need you to go in. Ephesus, uh, from everything that you read, is, is the church at its very best. 
Now we go to the next church, the church of Smyrna. And that would have been covering a time period of about 100 A.D. to 313 A.D. Chapter 2 and verse 8, And to the angel in the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is now alive. Again, remember those qualities that we talked about in chapter 1. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and they're not. They're of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil cast some of you in prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death." This church in Smyrna is considered the martyr church, the suffering church. You'll notice on some of the early churches, Satan is attacking the physical. He's persecuting them. He's killing Christians. And then later we're going to find out he's going to bring his work in the church. He's going to come inside the church and start working through the members and causing disruption and sin within the church. Now he's persecuting the Christians. He's killing Christians. This would have been the period right after the burning of Rome and the destruction of Jerusalem. And by the way, as I wrote here, the Christians were blamed for both of these, these events. As I mentioned earlier, he'll take the qualities that are mentioned in chapter 1 to help this church. So far in the church of Smyrna, everything is praise for this church. He says, I'm the first and last. I know everything that you're going through. I'm dead and now I'm alive. He's giving that church hope because a lot of the, the Christians are being killed. So he's trying to give them hope by saying, hey, listen, I was dead at one time, but now I'm alive. So he's trying to show that church that no matter what you're going through, no matter the persecution you're going through, just hold on. Everything will be okay. They were considered, the church of Smyrna was considered a poor church. Didn't have a lot of money. Didn't have money to, to spend on lavish things, if you will. But Jesus says that they're actually rich because they were rich spiritually. Later, we're going to see a church who thinks they're rich, but Jesus is going to tell them, you're actually poor. And then we get to a section that's really interesting. Jews better not. Jesus says that the Jews at the time, they identified themselves as a Jew because they, they associated themselves with the old law. But Jesus tells them that you're actually the synagogue of Satan. And the reason he says that is because those Jews hadn't accepted him as the Messiah. So in Jesus' mind, they were sinful in that respect because they hadn't accepted him as to who he was when he came. 
10 days, the persecution of 10 Roman emperors, everything that I looked into to study that, where it says that you'll be in tribulation or that you'll be put in prison for 10 days, is translated, there were 10 Roman emperors during that time in the old Roman Empire from Nero to uh, Diocletian. So that was 10 different time periods, which represents the 10 days. And the other thing was when they were put into prison, they were put into prison for a short amount of time, not a long period of time. But from my understanding, the 10 days would represent 10 different Roman emperors during that time period. And Jesus tells them, just hold on here and you'll receive the crown of life, the eternal crown that we see in James, the first chapter and verse 12. If you're being persecuted and you're being killed for the cause of Christ and somebody tells you, hey, listen, you won't be hurt when you die. That's very promising. And that's exactly what Jesus tells him here. You won't be hurt of the second death. And I wrote here, someone once said, I don't know if you've heard of this or not, if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. The first death, of course, concerns your body, but the second death concerns the soul. God has the ability to keep us from the second death. Satan would like to kill you and then die a second time. No believer, no believer will experience the second death. So now we come to the next church, Pergamos. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which has the sharp sword with two edges. Old and New Testament. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antiochus was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against you. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which also I hate. Repent, or I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them against the sword of my mouth, with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saith he that receiveth. As I said earlier, now Satan's going to switch his attack. He's going to come from outside persecuting Christians, and now he's going to bring his attack on the inside. Now you're going to start seeing the church beginning to compromise. We're entering an area of where the church will begin to say, yeah, it's okay to do this. Yeah, it's not okay to do that. And they're going to start compromising. 
they're going to actually start moving away from the person of Christ. Paganism, again, was abound. I kind of inserted this in here. Jesus says, you don't know who you're messing with. I've got a two-edged sword, and it will cut you. I have the Old Testament. I have the New Testament. I have the complete Word of God. It's the same Word of God that Satan, or he used on Satan when Satan tempted him. It reminds me of someone when they try to mess with our house. You better be careful. And I wrote in here, the sword that Jesus has is like our Smith and Wesson 357. He says, you better watch out. Jesus knows that when he tells the pastor of this church, if it worked on Satan previously when I use it, it's going to work for you as well. He takes note of all their circumstances. He knows the circumstances of this church. He says Satan dwells in this church. Satan church, as most of us know, doesn't dwell in hell. As we all know, he moves about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that's exactly what Satan's always doing. He's looking for someone to take the bait so he can cause them to lose their soul. We'll see later in Revelation, hell's not open for business right now. He's moved his... Satan is beginning to move his location around to different locations. He's not just isolating himself in one area. Now he's beginning to move around to other churches. Many heathen temples were located there. Constantine was the emperor at the time. He was a pagan emperor. Constantine's belief was, worship me. I need you to worship me and not God. They were still faithful, though, in their defense in the deity of Christ. Jesus had one condemnation against this church. He said, they practiced the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The doctrine of Balaam, which is false teaching, was introduced into this church. Do you remember back in the Old Testament where Balaam, the prophet Balaam, tried to convince King Balak to seduce the children of Israel with sexual immorality with Moabite women. King Balak wanted to weaken the children of Israel. So he introduced sexual immorality into the children of Israel and the same thing's happening here where the church is now being introduced with sexual immorality to cause the corruption within the church. And as I said earlier, this is part of Satan's bait. This is what he does. He introduces things internally to cause things to happen within the Lord's church to cause it to be destroyed. Again, that was the introduction of Israel to idolatry and fornication. Now we have the sins of the world starting to enter into the Lord's church. Ephesus, 
that we talked about earlier, they hated it. Pergamos, they're okay with it. The Nicolaitans, they started reintroducing rituals by the clergy. Jesus said he hated that, the rituals that they were introducing. The rituals that the Jews started using later on when Jesus arrived, there were so many rituals and traditions, it blinded their vision of Jesus. It caused them to have a veil over their eyes. So the veil kept them from actually seeing who Jesus really was, the Messiah. What's Christ's cure? What's Jesus's cure? Repent. Turn around. Go the other way. Overcomers. That's the true definition of a Christian, to be an overcomer. He says that you'll receive hidden manna as an overcomer. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You will never hunger. You will never thirst. And then the white stone at the end is an indication of the pureness, your sins being blotted out, you're saved, the redeemed, and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now we move to the church of Thyatira. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, and as many that have not and as many have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will not put another burden upon you. But that which you have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works until the end, to him I will give the power of nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of the potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I have received of my father." And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The time period here for the church of Thyatira would have been between the, the dates of 590 A.D. to 1517 A.D. Thyatira was considered to be a very prosperous church. It was built at the time for defense. The Roman guards, the elite Roman guards, they were all stationed there. 
And this is interesting. Christ says he judges them with the eyes of flaming fire and feet of fine brass. Because of the sin this church was involved in, it was an internal sin. It was a secret sin. So Jesus says, I'm going to judge you with my eyes of flaming fire because his eyes are able to penetrate through these individuals, these Christians, and expose their secret sins. And it shows his feet of fine brass. Jesus says, my judgment will be just. The judgment that I impose upon you will be just and it will be righteous because I know the secret sins that you're committing. He says he commends them for their works. Their faith causes their works. In James 2.18, their works increased instead of diminishing. And then it talks about the Jezebel church. Now, when we read about Jezebel in the Old Testament, that was about a thousand years ago. So we know that wasn't the actual Jezebel in this church. But from my study, I believe that they actually had a prophetess there. And she had the spirit of Jezebel. And she was teaching the philosophy, philosophy behind the Jezebel that we read about in the Old Testament. During this time, it was considered a dark period for the church. The churches during that time period, they began worshiping other things. They began worshiping Mary, saints, statues, and they began having their own authority. It's okay to worship a man figure instead of Jesus. Jezebel brought in the worship of false gods. And when you read about that in the Old Testament, it was done to kill the prophets in Israel through King Ahab. These rituals that were taking place in this church in Thyatira, they replaced the personal faith in Jesus. It was an introduction of the worship of the virgin and of the child and the mass were part of church services. Purgatory beliefs began. Mass was for the dead, which occurred in A.D. 590. And now you have the Bible. It begins to be translated in Latin. And because it was translated in Latin, people were unable to understand what the Word of God actually said. So they required others to translate for them. Jezebel is, I have written here, is the front runner of the apostate church that we'll talk about later in Revelation. It's the church that Jesus will eventually destroy as we get to the latter parts of Revelation. And Jesus gives them time to repent. He has patience with them, but they do not. The church during this time period was a false religion, a false church system. And Jesus says in this scripture here that he's going to deal with them in the great tribulation unless she repents. 
Every child that is brought up under this system, Jesus says that the result of that child will be death as well, growing up under a false religious system. And they will experience the second death. Christ saying to them, I'm coming to take you out unless you hold fast for me. Remember what I said earlier, that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He ends by saying they have power over the nations. He that overcomes. The saints in the end will see, will come back with Christ and will judge and rule the world. And then the morning star is simply a reference to Christ as the bright and morning star. Where are we at on time, Pastor? Good. The church of Sardis. And to the angel in the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. So this time period for the church of Sardis would have been between about 1517 and 1790. As you see, we're starting to progress up into the current time. This was considered the Reformed church, but it was a dying church. They had good intentions. Their intentions was to take the Bible and get, it, get the Word of God back into the hands of the people. It represents this time period of the Church of Sardis represents the beginning of the Protestant church. The seven spirits of God and the seven stars, Jesus is telling this church, you're messing with completeness here. The church today, I have written here, needs that spirit. We need the spirit back of God. And then he, ha he says, there's one frightful uh, condemnation for this church. You think you're alive, but you're actually dead. Christ says, I know who you are. I was talking about this a little earlier. Many churches that we have today, they believe they're alive, but they're just merely gone through the forms, the motions. They're mechanical. <clears throat> Jesus says to be watchful. In other words, he says here, church, wake up. Don't go to sleep. We're, we're to be alert. We're to be watching for the return of Jesus, watching for his coming, the urgency, the imminency to teach those who aren't saved. Jesus 
Jesus ends here by saying that you have a few faithful that still love the Word of God. There's still a few in this church that's actually still loving the Word of God. There's two books that are mentioned in the Bible that we can be a part of. All of us are a part of the book of the generations of Adam. But the book of life that Jesus mentions here, you only are placed into that book after you receive Jesus as your Savior and you repent of your sins. So there's only those two books that we know of mentioned in the, in the Bible. And then we come to the Church of Philadelphia, 1790 to 1900 A.D. In this church, as I studied it, represents the revived church, the missionary church. You all are familiar with the names Spurgeon, Wesley, and D.L. Moody during that time period. Jesus says here in the church of Philadelphia that we're getting ready to read, there's a door that he's going to open that no one can shut. And as I looked into that and studied it, I believe that's the door of missionary work. Jesus says, when I open this door, no man will shut that door. So to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things he saith that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast little strength, and thou hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them a synagogue of Satan." which saith they are Jews, but they are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. Now that's key right there, church. Look at that. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Rita, you and I talked about this. I think that is key there because that shows that the church will be removed from the earth prior to the tribulation. That is the rapture of the church. He tells this church that you're going to be removed. I'm going to keep you from that hour that's going to come up on the face of the earth. That's key. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh, I will make them into a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon the name of my God and the name of the city of God, which is new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of the heavens from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So as I said early, I consider this church period a missionary church. During this time, there's going to be a huge spreading of the Word of God. This church has now come back and turned back to God through the Word of God. That's important. The church has to preach the Word of God. People during this time period were hungry for the Word of God. Jesus has no condemnation for this church. 
Why? Because, again, they turned back to the Word of God, and Jesus liked that. He draws from the qualities, he draws from the vision, the qualities of himself in chapter 1. Jesus says the gospel will be preached to all the world, and then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. This church doesn't go through tribulation or persecution. As far as I can tell, when I read the history of this church, they received none of that. They didn't go through any tribulation or any type of persecution. During this time period, there was holiness, there was revival, evangelism is prevalent. The gifts of the Holy Spirit begin, prayer and Bible study. I said this earlier, we need to make sure we always engage God in prayer to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says they had little strength. They didn't have big numbers or or really fancy buildings or programs or anything like that. A lot of us grew up in, in, in churches that we just had the faith. We had the Word of God being preached. He says they're the synagogue of Satan where the Jews who continued to worship in synagogues under the old law, and they didn't acknowledge Christ as their Savior or the Messiah. So he said they were a vessel for for Satan himself. He says the church of Philadelphia has patience. He tells them he's going to rapture them when they come, when he comes, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. And because of that, again, as I said earlier, they will not experience the hour of temptation because the church is going to be removed. And we'll talk about that next week. They will be given a complete deliverance. And Jesus says that he'll come quickly. We won't know when he comes. He'll come without notice. He'll come as a thief in the night. And we'll be given a new name in Christ. We'll have a personal relationship in Christ. And now we come to our last church, Laodicea, which dates from 1900 A.D. to the current. Now, this is one of the things I struggled with this church. I originally thought that we were the last church, the Laodicean church, as we read through this description of this church. But I've rethought all of that. I actually believe that the Laodicean church will actually be some of the church will actually be the church that goes through the the tribulation. I actually think after the Lord returns, when the Lord returns to take His church and rapture His church, there's still going to be people going to church on Sunday mornings. So I think there's going to be remnants of this church going to church on Sunday mornings. And into the church of the Laodiceans write, Just listen to this description. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Thou art neither hot or cold. I would wert thou cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, church, does that sound like somebody that's going to be raptured? It does not. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, 
I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, and thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be jealous, therefore, zealous, I'm sorry, zealous, therefore, and repent. Even though as wicked as this church of Laodicea, Jesus still gives them a chance to repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and I will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to set with me on my, in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. And they were known for bad water. They had their water piped in from a long distance. And so Jesus knows this church personally. And he mentions here that their water was lukewarm. And the reason being is because when the water came from the water source where they were getting their water, by the time it got to them, the water was lukewarm. So Jesus knew that. So he used a description that they would be familiar with. And they were also very uh, popular with exports of ISAF. And Jesus mentions that as well. They had a lot of textiles that they export, a very, very wealthy city. It looked like the modern church that we see today the world church. When we look at a lot of churches today, we look like the world. We dress like the world. We act like the world. Jesus identifies himself to the Laodicea church as the amen, the yes, where all things are fulfilled through him. He's the faithful and true witness. He reveals everything, the one we can trust. Today, as we turn on the news and the people we listen to, there's not a whole lot of people we can trust. Jesus says, you can trust me. In this church, he says, I know your works, but they're not good works. They're evil works. Any of you that have tasted lukewarm water, you know what it tastes like. It doesn't taste very good. It doesn't quench the thirst. So Jesus said, this is what you are, Laodicea. And because of that, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I wish you was hot or cold. Be one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, you don't taste very good to me. Everything about this church was lukewarm. Their prayers were lukewarm. Their morals were lukewarm. Their preaching was lukewarm. They were rebuked, but Jesus still loved them. They were sinful. He hated the sin, but he still loved them. They had departed from the faith. 
They took the middle road. They were fence riders. Any of this sound familiar? Didn't want to make anybody mad. No concern. No concern for how God feels. Just how they feel. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power of God. Rarely prayed. Just got together to hang out, sort of. Like a club. Socialize. It's about us. It's not about the Lord. I don't like that song. I wrote all these down because they were all coming to my mind. Don't do this. Don't do that. Constantly wanting to be entertained. Today we have TV to entertain us, inter internet, sports, and then we go to church and what do we want? Same thing, entertainment. And I wrote this in here. If you're being entertained by sin, if you're watching something that's entertaining you, then you approve of it. Paul says that that gives us a debased mind. And then we, we read that Jesus says something that's very, very frightening. He says, because of the way you are, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to spit you out. You say things, but you don't actually mean it. But remember, the Lord has flaming eyes of fire. He has x-ray vision. He sees through to our most inner parts. We are living between the age of the Church of Philadelphia and Laodicea. I believe, church, right now, at this very moment, that the church is being tried. And Jesus is asking us, are you hot? Or are you cold? Jesus says, you think you have it all. You think you have money. You think you have possessions. But Jesus says to this church, you're actually poor. You're spiritually poor. We're starting to see homosexuality being invited in. And not only is it invited into the church that they're leaders of God's church. God says in Leviticus 18, that's an abomination, an abomination. Again, I wrote this, we're talking about the people of the church. We are the church. It's, it's not what we see around us. It's not these physical things that we see. The people are the church, not the building. In the eyes of God, we can have everything. We can have it all. But God says, you're poor. Because earthly treasures means nothing to Him. It means nothing. Jesus says, I counsel thee. I counsel thee to purchase the precious blood. That's what's needed. Righteousness. Holy Spirit to open your eyes because you're actually spiritually blind, church. Clothe yourself with me with white raiment. Use the eye salve that I have so you can see. He knew they were popular for their eye salve. He says, your eye salve doesn't work. You need my eye salve. Be zealous for the Lord. 
Repent, turn around the church of Laodicea, go the other way. You're going in the wrong direction. And then it says, he stands at the door just before judgment. He stands at the door. It's the last church. And I wrote this in here. I thought it was really important. We're either going to go up church or we're going to go through. That's going to be our two choices. We're either going to be raptured when the Lord comes back to take his church or we're going to go through the tribulation. So this is the conclusion of the churches. I know I knew before I started it was going to be rough for me because it's it's long. There's seven churches. There's a lot of description that can take place here that I didn't bother to get into because it it describes how the churches were at the time whether they were rich or poor, and it was a very difficult study to go through. But this is the period of the which are. So that is concluding the church age. And then I just asked the question, will the last church, will it be raptured or will it go through the tribulation period? Does anybody have any questions? And I'm going to have an altar call. Anybody have any questions? It was a long, lengthy, I know, study. Okay. George. I appreciate your effort, a yeoman's job, to be sure, speaking about Rome. And the, the empire was crumbling due to taxation. Many people were on the dole. Many times people compare that era to the United States decline today. And you're getting us more into that mode as to questioning where we are and where we need to be. Constantine, his mother, first became Christian. She influenced him. Because of the decline of Rome at that time, not able to have taxes and so on, and to maintain their large territory in the world, they split the kingdom into two sections, east and west. Constantine settled in Turkey, and now that name is Constantinople. That's where it came from. The Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, got it rise at that time. It was the influence. You alluded to many things about that, the religion that started up from there. It's an interesting side note. But, it, but and, uh, what I, my, my question to you is, being that that is a reference of church to a specific time period, but it doesn't stay in that time period because it transcends beyond into the age of Christendom today because we are the church. An interesting thing about the, 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 the church as it stands is weakened, but the church because of the Holy Spirit that is in us is able to hold back the darkness of the onslaught of the, of, the, of the devil and his demon legions. So therefore, after this, and knowing that there is going to be a revival coming, 
would we then, as, as a team of believers, recommit to learning about being prepared for the last days to save the lost and set the captives free? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what part of that was your question, George, but I, I do believe we have, the church has complete control of determining whether the Lord comes back to take his church, because as I said last week, uh, I think the Lord is, is holding out for that last person to, to accept his son. And until that happens, uh, but more of what you're talking about, uh, George, we're going to get into when we get to chapter 4 through, through chapter 18. Um, and we have to go back into the book of Daniel to see how the Roman Empire during that time was not completely destroyed. It was parsed, separated. Um, but eventually, what you're going to see, and when we get to chapter 4 next week, it gets really exciting. What we're going to see is God's going to judge the world's religious system. He's going to judge the world's government system. He's going to judge all those of the Jews and Gentiles who are unbelievers. So we're going to see all three of those being judged in chapters 4 through 18. Really exciting starting. This was lengthy. I know. I felt it. I know you felt it. It's lengthy because of the descriptions of all the churches, what the churches experienced. But next week when we get to chapter 4, things open up and it becomes really interesting. Next week we get to take a peek into heaven and we get to see God on His throne and it gets really exciting. And it, it'll, it, it brings a lot of hope to what we talk about around the dinner table where we talk about, oh, I can't believe this person's doing this, and I can't believe that person's doing that, and I can't believe I'm seeing this, and I'm seeing that, and, and this government's doing this, and this government's doing that. God's going to take care of all of that. He's going to take care of all of that. We need not be the people that seems to think that that burden's on our shoulders, because what did God tell us? Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Do not take that burden upon yourself. God will take care of that for us. All right? Yes. Jansen Franklin, he had said that the only thing right now is keeping Jesus from coming back is the prayers of the saints. So the prayers of the saints, when we pray, we're going to find this out in Revelation. They go up, and then there'll be an angel that will send the prayers back down to earth. So that's, that's interesting. We'll see that as well. Anybody else? How about every head bowed and every eye closed? I don't know the hearts of everybody that's here tonight, but if you're here tonight and you have not accepted Jesus, if you not uh, uh, ask Jesus to come into your life, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, tonight's the night. There may not be another night. When we walk out tonight, church, we may not come back in again. The Bible tells us that now is the time for salvation.
So if you're here with us tonight and you've not accepted Jesus, if you just, it's between you and God, slip up your hand. Just wave at me or slip up your hand. All right. Thank you, church. Uh, come back again next week. I promise you it'll be more exciting next week than, than muddling through all these churches. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. 